Hi, I'm Carrie. And this is Curtis. Welcome to Money Affects Everything. These conversations are meant to discuss the many ways money affects every area of our life. Our goal is to help you change your perspective on money from being the pursuit to seeing money as a tool to fund the life that you want to live. Welcome everyone. Today's subject is something juicy. It's financial infidelity. Uh, We wanted to cover this today because it can be uh, a huge topic that people have to deal with in their lives. And according to Investopedia, financial infidelity is when couples with combined finances lie to each other about money. So examples of financial infidelity can include things like hiding existing debts, excessive expenditures without notifying the partner, or lying about the use of money. I have personally experienced financial infidelity in marriage, and it can, trust me, destroy a relationship because it erodes trust at such a fundamental level. And so, Curtis, have you ever known anyone that felt like their partner was hiding money issues? I personally haven't uh, experienced it, but certainly amongst family and friends and clients, I've seen uh, the the gamut of financial infidelity. And it's a real challenge for for couples to deal with and to talk about. And I, I think whether it's having separate bills that someone isn't paying or keeping up with, or it's building out credit card debt. Um, Often these things, I feel like, come to a front when deciding to combine finances, whether that's just in general or through marriage. Uh, But I I guess the first thing I'm thinking about here is just uh, in a relationship, thinking about bills, uh, whether that's the the first time a couple is kind of trying to decide how they're going to allocate finances um, or just over time thinking about how do they want to split those up. Well, what have you seen and what are some red flags you've experienced when thinking about uh, bills for, for couples? Uh, I, I have experienced that in my, in my opinion, the most successful couples actually lay it all out there. Mm-hmm. And, um, but at least in the beginning, so that if they are cohabitating for the first time, they're going to look at all the household bills and decide how they're going to split them up. Now, if though they make the decision of, okay, I'll pay the utility bill, you pay the cell phone bill, whatever that might be, there is a risk. And even if you're giving someone, you know, the money for half of the bill and trusting that they pay it, how do you know that they're Mm -hmm. really paying it? Um, In my own marriage long ago, I had a husband that stopped paying the mortgage bill. And and it it was horrible. I mean, our, our house was almost foreclosed upon. I will admit there were some red flags that mm-hmm. I had used to, I would see just regular things in the mail from the mortgage company, even if they were advertisements. And I stopped seeing those. 
So what he had done was actually change the contact information with the mortgage company to, no a, yeah, to a PO box. He changed the phone number to just his cell phone number. And, um, you know, I just, I was busy with kids and doing mm -hmm. other things. And you just kind of trust a spouse that they're going to pay the mortgage for goodness sake. Um, but then when it comes to things like utilities, I mean, the bill might be in one person's name and mm -hmm. that's who really needs to pay the bill. So you're feeding them a hundred dollars a month to pay that utility bill. But what I think would be a good idea then is say, Hey, I, I want to, I want to see the utility bill. If anything, I just want to see how much we're using. If we could save money by doing some things. And if your partner doesn't want to show you an account and mm -hmm. doesn't want to show you a bill, I think that's a red flag. What do you For think? Sure. Yeah, uh, yeah. And and thinking of utility bills, um, my my wife um, almost always rolls her eyes, but uh, I don't know how frequently it is, but Duke will send us a bill that shows our energy consumption and shows us how efficient we are compared to other households. So I like to show her that and just show us how our trends are going and how we're comparing of are we being efficient in our energy use? I usually use it as an opportunity to turn off more lights in the house. Um, but I, I, I do think it, you're, you're onto a really great point, which is just, is someone willing to share that information? And I think really taking it that step further of, it doesn't, it, it shouldn't be, uh, I, I think from, from a trust perspective, from a relationship perspective, you do have to have some level of trust but there is also verification. It's, and that's where, whether it is once a year, twice a year, four times a year, you should just sit down and look at the bills. Uh, just get a sense of what are you spending money on? Where are you making extra payments? Are you making extra payments on the mortgage? How has that impacted it? And it's just a good way to keep track of both sides of the balance sheet. I mean, typically we talk about budgeting, we talk about your investment accounts, but that expense side is just another area to really kind of think through and look at how are those different expenses being paid for on a regular basis. Uh, so you, you were talking a little bit about uh, the, the mortgage and how that uh, got changed into the PO box. Um, well, when thinking about couples that aren't married, um, what do you encourage them to do when it comes to a mortgage? Um, thinking about that home ownership and the potential implications there. That is a tough one because if you are not married, then you need to think carefully about whose name the home is going to be titled in. Uh, some couples also Maybe one person has a steady W-2 job and that's going to make it easier for them to qualify for the mortgage. And so mm -hmm. you just sort of go the path of least resistance and go that way. If there is trust and there's not infidelity, it might not be an issue for one person to own the house and the other person pays them half to live there. But here's what's, what is happening when you do that is let's say, for example, the, the, uh, girlfriend uh, is the one that is uh, on the mortgage mm -hmm. and she's making the payments and a uh, boyfriend or girlfriend that is living with her 
gives her money. Okay. The, the homeowner is the one building up equity, mm-hmm. not the other person. And legally they own the residence. And so if there is a, a quarrel in the relationship, that other person could be homeless with, with in almost a moment's notice. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that's something I, I really caution clients about. There is a way to own homes jointly, even when you're not married, but that can get sticky Mm -hmm. because then you don't necessarily have a legal divorce that takes place where a judge might decide, you know, how the home is, is divided. But um, yeah, regardless, you know, when it comes to the infidelity piece of it, you need to be aware, no matter where you live, you really need to understand the lease that is on the apartment, the ownership and how it's structured on the house and have a backup plan if you're not the one that's the owner. Mm -hmm. And at the very least, I encourage long-term couples to have a transfer on death Mm -hmm. on that, that deed of the home, if, if they could afford to keep it, um, you know, if, if a couple, if someone dies, so that's where the transfer on death comes in. Right. Yeah. And, and whether that's, that's a, a mortgage or I was just thinking about a, a couple um, that signed a lease for an apartment and both of them signed it. And when the uh, person who made more money left, uh, the other person was on the hook. And for them financially, they really couldn't afford it. Uh, they ended up working with the apartment company to uh, switch from uh, a two bedroom to a single bedroom. And that helped a little bit, but that next year was just really tough um, because it really took o- almost all of the capacity of their budget to stay on top of it. Um, and it wasn't really something that they had thought about at all because they were in a relationship and they trusted and they didn't really think through the implication of if they break up, are they going to be able to continue to afford that payment uh, that they've legally uh, signed up to, to say that they'll pay? Right. Right. It's a good point. Now with budgeting and spending, a big problem that I've seen is lying about debts. Mm -hmm. And this could be you've entered into a new relationship And the other person never exposes to you how in debt they are. And Mm -hmm. this could just simply be credit card debts. It could start getting into student loan debt. And this is something that if I have a client that is thinking about moving in with someone or marrying someone, I say, you've got to have that conversation about debt and Mm -hmm. your just fundamental beliefs about debt. Some people think it's fine to carry Mm -hmm. 20, 30,000 in credit card debt. I don't, but, and so I wouldn't really want to be in a relationship with someone that thinks that's okay. And, um, but some other red flags is just how they handle money mm-hmm. and how they think about things like gambling. Right. Um, some people think that gambling $500 is no big deal. Mm-hmm. That makes me a little sick to my stomach. And um, so actually in a marriage, I had a husband that liked to gamble and I, I would put limits on it when I was with him. 
but he went by himself a lot and come to find out he'd only tell me about the times he won, not the mm-hmm. times he lost. And it, it became quite an issue. So have you had any experience with, with debt and that being a problem? Uh, it's certainly something that I've seen come up and particularly credit card debt. Uh, that is just something that it's so easy to have that kind of start and then build where you can get a credit card in your own name and it could be, it usually starts very unintentionally. It's just, mm-hmm. you spent $400 on something and then you spent a little bit more and the whole plan is you just need a little bit of extra income and this is a way to supplement it. And you're going to have a few months that you're just positive on cash flow. You're going to pay it all off, but it just keeps growing. And I've just seen it multiple times across a number of different couples where it reaches that breaking point uh, that they can't service the debt anymore. And they really need to begin to have that conversation. And, and sometimes, uh, unfortunately, I've seen it come up when applying for a mortgage is, you know, suddenly the credit uh, report gets pulled and it's like, what's this $20,000 in credit card debt? And I mean, that's the first the spouse has ever heard of it. I, I think that's a real challenge and really comes back to, you need to have that ongoing conversation. You need to bring those things to the table and, and talk through them. Uh, where it's it's okay to have debt. It's okay to have credit card debt. It's really incorporating that into the plan, incorporating that into the budget to make sure that over time you're spending your resources uh, the best way that you should. Right, right. And that's where, with the definition of the financial infidelity, it it clues in on the word lie. It's when people are lying to each other and I, or being deceptive. Uh, I, again, I had a case where man I was married to actually opened a credit card in my name because he had access to all mm-hmm. of my information. I have a very scribbly signature and he was, he was able to do mm-hmm. it. And I will tell you that haunted me long after the divorce, they were even calling me and trying to get that, that debt settled. Mm-hmm. Um, but I guess I want this podcast to be a bit of a warning for there's sort of the fool me once shame on you fool me twice shame on me in that if you are in a relationship with someone that let's say they have uh, school debt and they tell you about it and they say, gosh, this is going to be a monkey on my back for 20 years. I'm not saying that that's a bad thing. It's just, uh, that's great. They told you, you mm-hmm. can have a plan where the, where it's really bad is the situation you mentioned. You're, you're now applying for a mortgage or you are going to do something else. And there's this, whoa, where did this come from? And that they've been hiding it and they've been lying to you. Mm-hmm. Um, that is where it's, it, you need to really question that before you do enter into a long-term relationship or a marriage with someone that, that lies to you about money. And, um, and even if, you start the conversations 
of, hey, how much have you put away for retirement? Mm -hmm. Or, um, yeah, how do you feel about gambling or debts or things like that? And they're very secretive. Mm -hmm. And they say, well, that's none of your business. Um, I guess that's fine on a first date to say that, obviously. But if you're about to move in together. Yeah. I don't they- know. If, if someone <laughs> won't tell me about their position in the S&P 500, we're going to have a challenge from the start. <laughs> Go on. I, I understand what you're saying. I mean, yeah, this yeah. is a personal problem. <laughs> no, I know. Now that I, I know middle-aged and single, I could just see me on the first day. It's like, give me the, give me the approximate balance of your 401k and your net worth because yeah. <laughs> are, are you, no. <laughs> you yellowing GME calls? Like I, I need to know your approach to <laughs> investment here. Oh, shoot. But no, I mean, I, all joking aside, I, I do think that that sharing information is so key. And, you know, also like with passwords and logins and computers and phones. And if you just overall notice that the person you're with is incredibly secretive, mm-hmm. that they're just like, you know, you walk in the room and they shut that laptop. It's like, hmm. What, what, what is it that's going on? And I mean, obviously we could talk about all sorts of things that might be going on on a laptop, but one, you know, when it comes to money, it, it is a sensitive subject. I know that my parents and older generations think that your money and your vote is private, but in this day and age, um, even though you don't have to maybe show exact holdings and balances, you mm-hmm. do need to know, uh, especially the joint joint accounts for sure. I mean, if you have uh, a joint account with someone and you don't know the username and password and Mm -hmm. that's bad. Right. Yeah. And, and I, I think that um, one thing that that this pulls to mind to me is also seeking help with this. Uh, I, I know of a startup uh, in Louisville, Kentucky called enriched couples. And this is a big piece of what they help people talk, talk through are those money scripts. How, how do you talk about combining finances? And there, there are just different ways that people approach finances. And I think that's something that you need to work through and think through. And it's okay to be more secretive, but you do need to collaborate. Um, I, I, I think the more someone is, to, to your point, closing the laptop, not, not giving all of the information, that can be okay, as long as it ultimately there, there is some type of sharing there, there, there is some level of trust, um, you know, that there's, I'll, I'll, I'll go to like a budgeting example, where depending on the couple's budget level, they could be saying, hey, $200 a month goes off to your personal account. $200 a month goes off to my personal account. Okay. No questions asked. <laughs> like you can go spend the money. There are small things like that that I, I think make sense. Uh, but yeah, by and large, you, you do want to have some level of communication there and that you do ultimately trust each other um, even if not every single position is being, uh, discussed, um, on a regular basis. Right. I hear you. But that, that annual meeting 
if there mm-hmm. is a, a financial planner involved, I try to always encourage at least once a year that both members of the couple be involved because even if investing isn't your thing, at least you get to know that planner, you get to understand your overall financial situation Mm -hmm. as a household and where God forbid something happens to the other person, you can seek out that financial planner to help, help get information. Um, So if you have a partner that's, you know, going off to XYZ financial, and um, it's just like, don't worry your pretty little head about it, honey. Mm-hmm. I think that's a bad sign. So I'd like yeah, to I, encourage I, I there agree. be involvement. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, that, that annual meeting, and particularly as I just think about uh, couples, even when they're not married, introducing them and having them participate, it can even be just a portion of the meeting, but meeting the investment professionals that, that they use, it's just helpful. And it, it's it's a way to build trust. And it's something that you, you can use to make the decision of how are you going to combine finances? How should you be thinking about those different accounts? And you can have a, a third party who's an expert uh, that can really help you think through those decisions. Uh, I, I think that's a really valuable point. Yes. And if any, if you take away anything from this podcast, if you're listening and saying, "Uh I don't really know about the bills, I don't know about the investments, don't be embarrassed. Instead, go home and say, hi, partner, I just listened to this podcast. And can you show me all the bills and what it is you deal with. And it's wonderful that you do it for me and us, but can I, can I see it? Uh, And maybe even go so far as to run a credit report on yourself and ask your partner to do the same. Mm -hmm. And that then you understand the full picture and have an open and honest relationship. Yeah. Well, I think that's a great point to end on today. And Look forward to talking to you all again soon. Sounds great. Take care. Thank you for tuning in. Did you like what you heard? Are you go ready to go make major changes to your financial situation? Stop. Please do not proceed yet. Go talk to the professionals in your life that help you make financial decisions. Whether that's your attorney, your financial advisor, your mortgage broker, person up the street. The comments here today may or may not be applicable to you in your personal situation. This was not intended to be personal financial advice for you. But if you would like to talk one-on-one, this is Carrie Cook, and I'm the proud owner of What About Us Financial. I utilize environmental, social, and governance investing to help you invest in a better world. You can find out more at whataboutusfinancial.com. That's whataboutusfinancial, all spelled out, dot com. This is Curtis. I run Quiet Wealth Management. I help retirees and working professionals execute independent solutions for their aspirations and personal circumstances. You can check out my personal website, curtisbailey.io, C-U-R-T-I-S, dot I-O for more information. Thanks again for tuning in.